You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Last week, we started our series called Experiencing Jesus as we study through the book of Hebrews, and we're encouraging you to read two chapters each day and to just start meditating on God's Word, meditating on the book of Hebrews. And and last week, I told you, we don't know a lot of information about the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know exactly where it was sent to. We don't know exactly the audience, although by reading it, we can tell that it was written to Jewish Christians who were being tempted to drift away and move toward Judaism. And last week in chapter 1, we talked about, the author made it very clear that Jesus is the Son, that he was creator, that he was above all, even over the angels. And, and the angels were looked highly upon, but Jesus was above them. That Jesus was the radiance of God's glory. That he sat at the highest place possible. That he purified our sins. And then we looked into chapter 2, and, and we saw a warning there. And and the warning was not to drift away. Now, for the audience, it was not to drift toward Judaism, but but we talked about how it's so tempting sometimes to drift away from Jesus. And and we got these little boats up here, and, and if you weren't here last week, first of all, I'd encourage you to listen to our podcast. But secondly... Uh, We came up and we wrote the things that might tempt us to drift away. It might be an overly busy schedule. It it might be friends. It might be us not uh, practicing spiritual disciplines. And so on one side, we wrote, hey, these are the things that tempt us to drift away. And then on the other side, we wrote the things that will keep us from drifting away. That might be accountability. That might be saying, hey, I'm going to make sure that I'm uh, practicing the spiritual disciplines. And then at, invi- uh, then at invitation time, or at that time uh, right after the sermon, we placed them in our harbor, and, and we prayed over those, and we want to hold each other accountable. And, and so if you missed last Sunday, at invitation time today, you just come up, there's some boats there, there's some pins there, and you just write those two things on there. But as a church, we don't want to drift away. We want to experience Jesus fully. We want to be focused on Him. Today, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, and you need to understand a little context. And one of the ways to understand the context is you need to know a little bit about Moses. What do we know about Moses? You're going to help me out this morning, and we're just going to kind of walk through some key details about Moses' life to understand chapter 3. You just need to know a few things about him. What do we know about Moses' birth? It was in the weeds, reeds, weeds, reeds. Yes, we got to understand God's people were in slavery. Pharaoh was concerned because God's people were growing and then the slaves were growing more and more and more. And so he said, I want all of the male babies killed, thrown into the Nile. Of course, his parents, 
didn't want that to take place, so they put him into a basket. First of all, they hid him for about three months. Uh, then, you know, three-month-olds, they get loud, and they realize, hey, we can't hide them anymore. Uh, so puts him in a, into a basket, almost like this ark, and puts him down there. I, I think she kind of got it, tried to make sure she read the current and just made sure it went right into the right place. And who found little Moses? Pharaoh's daughter. And, and Pharaoh's daughter ends up adopting Moses. We know that uh, Moses' mother, Jochebed, got a chance to actually uh, wean him, got a chance to nurse him uh, for a period of time. And so Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household, and Moses, of course, committed many sins over his life, just like you and me, but there was a sin that really stood out. Anybody remember that sin? He murdered, yes. He, he saw someone treating one of the Israelites badly, uh, one of the foremans, and he ended up killing him, hiding him in the sand. He thinks he gets by with it, but then he doesn't. That It's found out, and so what does he do? He flees, and so he runs to uh, Median, and he ends up meeting a guy. Anybody know Moses' father-in-law? Eventually that became his father? Jethro, that's right. He meets a priest named Jethro, and Jethro has a good-looking daughter, and, and Moses ends up getting married uh, and uh, then ends up having two sons. He ends up being a, a shepherd, and one day, while he was out there taking care of the sheep, there was this bush that was burning. And even though it was burning, it didn't burn up. And then it started speaking. Pretty strange, right? And the, this bush starts speaking, and he realizes it's God speaking to him. And it says, hey, I want you to go and confront Pharaoh. I want you to lead my people in, out of slavery. And so then Moses goes to Pharaoh, and what does he tell Pharaoh? Let my people go, right? Yes, and some of you remember the old song that we used to sing. Let my people go, and how many plagues? Ten plagues. After the tenth, the death of the firstborn, finally Pharaoh relents. He says, okay, you guys can go. Uh, they start heading off, and then Pharaoh changes his mind. He sends his army after them, but there's what's ahead of them. Anybody remember? The Red Sea, yeah. You got the Red Sea and you got an army here. God uses Moses to do this major miracle. He splits the, splits the sea. God's people walk all the way through it. And then Pharaoh's army gets in the middle of it. And what happens? Crash, all the waves come through. They're, I mean, they're wiped out. And God's people have been rescued. And uh, then we, we will see that they are uh, now heading toward Mount Sinai. Uh, but we're going to find out that God's people, like us, uh, they begin complaining pretty quickly. They're concerned that they don't have water and food. And so they're not real happy. They're saying, well, man, I wish we'd become slaves. Now we're going to die out here in the wilderness and, and all of those things. And so what does God do? God uses Moses again to provide them water. He provides them manna. He takes care of their needs. They come to Mount Sinai. And what happened at Mount Sinai that was so special? The Ten Commandments. God gave the law through Moses. And, and so Moses is often called the, the lawgiver because of that. 
Uh, after Mount Sinai, they held, uh, went out to the wilderness toward Paran, uh, and they were going to scout out the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that was filled with milk and honey. And they sent out 12 spies, and the 12 spies came back, and what did they say? Anybody remember? They're giants! Yes, they're giants! At least 10 of them said, there's no way that we can overtake these people. We know, God, you said that we could, but there's no way. There's giants there. Yes, the food's good. Man, it's wonderful, but there's no way we can do this. There was two guys, Caleb and Joshua, said, yeah, we can do this. With God's help, we can do all things. But in the end, God's people, they didn't want to hear that. And they were scared, and so God basically tells uh, his people, he punishes them and says, hey, guess what? You're going to wander out in the desert for 40 years. Moses was their leader. Moses had this prominent role in the Israelites' life. Uh, he's often called the mediator of the uh, old, uh, old Covenant. Uh, he's referred to the giver of the law. He's the author of the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, his, uh, Moses' role in the Old Testament is a type or shadow uh, of the role that Jesus plays in the New Testament. And so you got to realize when we talk about Moses, the Israelites loved Moses. He was like the Tim Duncan of San Antonio. I mean, that, just to kind of give you some context, I mean, we love Tim Duncan here, and, and, and that's, that's kind of Moses. When we think about Moses, uh, that's, that's what you kind of have to have in the back of your mind. So today we're going to look at chapter 3, and so let's read uh, our verses today. It says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your what? Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Some translations will say, consider Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Just kind of take a mental note. Our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as a builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope, which, uh, the hope in which we glory. Notice this. We are to fix our thoughts on Jesus, the apostle, and our priest. Uh, let, let me continue to... Uh, apostle means one sent on a mission. It's the only time that Jesus is referred to as apostle in the Bible. He's referred as high priest. Uh, that's man's representative before God. And we're going to talk a lot about high priest next week as we, as we dig into chapters 4 and 5. But Jesus is an apostle, one that was sent on a mission. And what was his mission? It was to seek and save the lost. It was a mission of redemption. It was one to come and, and save us. He was also a high priest who stood uh, before God for us, for our sins, who, who stood before him. Now, when I came and 
when I was reading Hebrews chapter 3, there's chapter or verse 1 really stuck out to me, and this phrase really stuck out to me. Fix your what? Thoughts on who? On Jesus. And I thought, as we're experiencing Jesus, and our, as our staff was kind of brainstorming, we thought, man, what could be a reminder for us to fix our thoughts on Jesus? And so I want you to get your phones out right now. If you got your phones, I, I, I want you to set a reminder, an alarm for 3.01 p.m., okay? And at 3.01 p.m., I want that to serve as a reminder for us to all fix our thoughts on Jesus. Now, the key is making sure that you hit p.m. and not a.m., okay? <laughs> 3.01 p.m., and if you don't have your phones, just do a sticky note or something like that, something that will remind you at 3.01 p.m., we are all going to fix our thoughts on Jesus. It's going to kind of be like our recalibration. It's going to be that time that, you know what, our day might be stressful. Uh, we may have a lot of things to do on our list. But at 301, we as a church, we're going to just fix our thoughts on Jesus. We're going to think about him as the radiance of God's glory. We're going to think about him as the sun. We're going to think about him uh, that is in control of all things. We're going to think about him as apostle and high priest. And, and as we think about him, I just have a feeling that he's going to bring peace and joy to our life. As we think about him, he may say, hey, see that person over in the cubicle over there? They need an encouraging word. And you might go over and put your arm around them. You might, God might bring someone to your mind that needs a little encouragement. So you might send them a text or write them a note or give them a phone call. You, you, he might even say, hey, I want you to invite that person to Castle Hills on Sunday. They need to experience Jesus. And so as a church, we want to experience Jesus. And I think one of the ways that we experience Jesus is by thinking about him and thinking about all the things that he does in our life and thinking about who he is. So as we dig back into our text, we're going to see we're going to see the word house is mentioned seven times in six verses. The house of God. What, what is the house of God? When, when I was a kid, on Sunday mornings, we got up and we went to God's house. That was my understanding. And because we were visiting God, you had to dress your very best. I mean, you had, to, you had to wear a jacket, and you wore a tie, and you wore all of these things because we were going to visit God at his house. And then when we got to church, God lived in the sanctuary. And so in the sanctuary, we had to be very reverent. As a kid, you didn't run around in the sanctuary. You didn't joke. You didn't laugh. You couldn't play hide-and-seek in the sanctuary because that's where God lived. You had to be very reverent because God lived in this building. And, and, and that's how some of you kind of was raised as well, right? That God was, God was at church. That's where he lived. It was somewhere that you would go and visit, and you'd visit God. But, but as I grew older and I began to study Scripture, I, I began to realize that, that God didn't just didn't dwell in a, in a building with brick and mortar sheetrock. And, and, and as I read the Old Testament, the New Testament, I said, no, he, he doesn't do that. But some of you, I know, you know the Bible, you, you said, well, Roddy, what about the tabernacle and the temple? He, he lived in the taber, tabernacle and the temple. And I'd say, I'd say this, that Jesus, or that God 
was there as a representative to remind them that he was with them. But every time that someone tried to say, hey, God can be, is just in one place, he had a warning. Isaiah 66, 1 actually says this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Can you build me a what? A temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? See, God can't be confined to a building. You, you fast forward to, in, in, the, in the New Testament to Acts. Well, Acts 24 and 25, uh, this is Paul, and he was speaking in Athens. And he says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in what? Man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. So if God's house isn't a building, if it's not a temple, then what is it? We actually read it in verse 6 of our passage today. It says this. You guys tell me. What does it say? We are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope which we glory. God's house is us. His spirit lives within us. We as a community of believers are God's house and God works through us. And and guess what? Moses worked in God's house. Moses was a great leader But we also see our text says Moses was a servant. What's a servant do? A servant serves. Man, we got an A++ congregation, you know. Servants serve. What do they do? They fix the meal. They clean up the house. They paint the house. They might build a room to the house. They mow the yard. They serve. And the audience there would have said, but man, Moses Man, he did all these great things. He did these miracles. He led God's people to freedom. I mean, you know Moses. But the the author says, hey, as great as Moses was, he's a servant. He used his gifts and abilities. He prepared for the future for Jesus to come. He's that shadow of what was to come. And Jesus is so much better. Now, again, Moses was amazing. He's praised in Hebrews chapter 11 for his faith. Moses and Jesus were both faithful in serving. But Moses' role was to serve, to use his gifts and his abilities. And, and, and basically, the author's saying, why would you go back to Judaism? Why would you go back and put your focus on Moses, the lawgiver? When you have Jesus, the son, who's the apostle, who is the person who redeems us, who's our high priest. Why would you let Moses lead you when you have Jesus? And and at first I wanted to criticize the audience like, man, that's silly. Why would you do that? But then I began to think about our lives. How often are we tempted not to let Jesus lead us? How often do we let other things kind of grab our attention? Maybe it's materialism, like, man, I've got to have the latest iPhone, or I've got to have the biggest house, or I've got to have this car, and, and we just basically let our life kind of be led by our desires of getting stuff. 
Sometimes we let our life be led by relationships. Like, man, if I just have this relationship, then my life will be great. Or if I just have a child, or if I just have this in my life. And, and again, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we let something else lead us. Sometimes I think that we want Jesus to lead us, but then we're scared, right? Because Jesus, he might lead us into deep water. And sometimes he doesn't give us all of the details. Like, if you're like me, if I take a trip, like, I want to know, okay, what road am I going to take? I'm going to take 35, and then I'm going to get off at 75, 69. And, and like, I want to know all the details. And sometimes Jesus says, just go down the road, and then I'll tell you when to turn. You ever been in a car with someone like that? They're, they're, they're there, and they'll just say, yeah, I'll tell you when to go. And like, you go through the stoplight, and you're thinking, man, am I supposed to turn right here? No, just keep on going. I'll tell you. Don't worry about it. Sometimes that kind of feels like Jesus, right? When he's leading us, he doesn't give us all the, the details. He just says, trust me, I got this. I know where I'm going. You'll find out when you get there. And we don't like that. We like to drive our own bus, don't we? We like to call the shots. But Jesus, of course, is a much better leader than we are. But we struggle with that. He kept on reading in Hebrews chapter 3. You'll see that Moses, as he led God's people, often they would harden their heart. They would turn away from God. And they weren't rejecting just Moses. They were rejecting God. But the author says this in verse 14. He says, For if we are what? Faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. If you want to experience Jesus, trust him over and over and over again. Through the good times and through the bad times, through the times that you don't understand, through the times that you get a diagnosis that just scares you, through grief, you continue to trust him over and over. Last week, I asked you to repeat this phrase, and I'm going to ask you to do it again. Focus determines direction. What we're focused on tells us what direction we're going to go. If we're focused on Christ, then we're going to get closer to Christ. If we're focused on other things, that's going to lead us a different direction. But today, I want us to repeat this. Trust leads to faithfulness. Trust leads to faithfulness. Now, it's easy to say, but when you're in the midst of going through something major in your life, it's hard. And I know some of you this morning, you're going through some hard times. Maybe it's a medical issue. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your kids. But God's calling out and saying, trust me. I've got this. I've got this. And so I want to leave you three questions. In what areas is God leading you to be more faithful? What areas is God saying, trust me in? Is it your job? Is it a difficult situation in life? What areas is he saying, hey, trust me? Secondly, in what areas is God leading you to use your gifts for his household? Moses used his gifts. What areas can you use your gifts for the community of believers? 
Monica wears a lot of different hats up here. She leads worship, and she does some secretarial things. But one of her roles is that she involves people in the ministry. Some of you, you may be saying, man, you know, I've, I've been sitting on the back row for a long time, and, and I've got some gifts that I could use. And Monica would love to talk to you. She would. We got all kinds of different places. Monica and I have a, a weekly conversation. Hey, we need some help in this area, help in that area. And you may come to Monica and say, hey, you know what? I don't know exactly what you need, but I'm here. I'm available. I just want to be used with the community of believers. For some of you, you need to ask this question. In what areas are you resisting God's leading? In what areas are you resisting God's leading? What areas are you driving the bus and not letting God drive the bus? What areas are you not trusting him in? What areas keep you up at night? What's the areas that you have anxiety about that you're not giving over and submitting over to God? See, as a church, if we want to experience Jesus, it means trusting him over and over again, fixing our thoughts on him.